Good morning, Hope Ames. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here, and I'm so glad to be with you. Truly, we mean it when we say we believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you, and so we are so glad to be worshiping with you today. Uh, if you've been around here for a while, you know that I usually open things with a clip. Um, but today, I just felt the need to try things a little bit differently. Um, we're diving into a new series. It is called American Spirituality, Concerning Trends and Reasons for Hope. There can be concerning trends and still reason for hope. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that does have sin. We live in a world where there is a lack of reconciliation around us, but we do have this hope. We do have this hope that God promises us in John chapter 3, verse 16. Have you ever heard it? If there was a thesis statement to the Bible, it would be this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want to be straightforward and direct today. There won't be a whole lot of design on the slides. You'll still get a couple of stories, and maybe you'll laugh a little. But I want to be direct and clear about this. As Christians, in this country, in this state, in this city, in this world, there are ways that we have gotten off track. And as we dive into this series, we do not go into it without hope. We go into it with some sorrow, with some remorse. We go into it with the hope for repentance. We go into it with the hope for more. But we're going to talk about these things clearly and directly because it's important for us as Christians to know where we've gone off and where God is calling us back to. So I invite you to buckle in, strap in tight, because it'll be a fun ride, but it's going to be an honest ride because in the church we talk about honest things. So we start with our reason for hope. God loved the world. Jesus showed up. But here's a concerning trend. Are you ready for this? There was a survey by Barna Group. 64% of United States Americans associate U.S. Christians most closely with political polarization. Yikes. How did that happen, right? Because here's the call of a Christian. It's not to be politically polarized, but instead the call of a Christian, it says in John chapter 13, is your love for one another, Jesus says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, how often do we believe that there's something more important in our lives than love? How often is it that we think that it's more important to win a debate? How often is it do we think it's more important to be cool? How often is it do we think that it is more important to win? But here's my question for us today. Are we trying to win stuff? Are we trying to win items? Or are we trying to win people? Because Jesus loves them desperately. Life is so much more satisfying. Life is so much more fulfilling when we win people. My dad used to tell me every single day when, we, when, we, when, we, when he'd drop us off for school, I'd be ready to get out of the minivan, going into elementary school, and my dad would ask me, he's like, hey, Danny, is it better to be, and I'd wait for it, because I knew it was coming, because every single day he would ask this. He'd say, Danny, is it better to be cool or nice? And I'd have to answer, nice. Is it better to be funny or nice? Nice. Is it better to make all the friends think that you're the best or nice? Nice! <laughs> all right, church, all of us together on this. Is it better to be popular or nice? nice. Is it better to win or be nice? nice? Now, even deeper than just being nice, it's more important to love. It is better to be loving than to be winning as the world defines it. As Christians, we are called to love. The greatest testimony 
to the life and resurrection and ascension and reign of Jesus over this world is our love for one another. You are sitting in a room of people who think differently than you, who come from different places than you, who have different perspectives on this world than you. And yet here we are today in this space. We are united by something that goes deeper than blood, that goes deeper than party. We are united by Jesus, the Lord of all. That goes deeper than anything. And he calls us to love. Do you know what's the crazy thing about the fact that Christians could love each other? It's that we could be so different but still have unity on this. Jesus says that's the greatest testimony to me is the fact that you would love one another, that the rest of the world would see we don't have to hate, we don't have to divide, we could be unified, we could be together. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. So where do we go wrong? Because here's what also the research says. It says that 34% of Christians see that their political opposition cannot be Christian. That's kind of convicting, isn't it? It may be like, well, 34%, that's not that bad. 34%, that's pretty bad. How big of a number would it have to be? How are we seeing this world? I'm not here today to try to tell you how to vote. That's not my goal. I'm here today to try to tell you it is worth loving like Jesus. And that ought to frame the way that we see the world. I've got a question for you. Who made who? Who made who in this world? How are we seeing this world? Do you see politics through the lens of Jesus? Or do you see Jesus through the lens of politics? I'm not saying that we have to dismiss ourselves from the political realm. What I'm saying is when we go into that space, we see it through the lens of Jesus. We don't come into church. We don't go into our communities. We don't come into our families and see them through the lens of our politics. We see this world through the lens of Jesus. That's what we're called to do as Christians. If we're not doing that, we're getting it all backwards because we remember who made us. Politics didn't make you. Your perspectives didn't make you. Your family didn't even make you. As much influence as those things have on you, they did not make you. Who made who? Genesis chapter 1 gives us the answer from the very beginning of the Bible. God created human beings in his own image. God made you to be like God. God made you to see like God. God made you to love like God. God made you to have hope for this world like God has hope for this world. God made you to have endurance that would persist and believe that this world's not done yet. Do you know what the difference is about Christianity and any other belief system in the world? Any other belief system, including secular beliefs, including ancient religions, including new religions, the difference between Christianity and any other belief system in the world is that God has hope for this physical world. The secular world says that this world's going to burn up and it's just going to go away. Well, that's kind of sad and depressing. There are ancient religions that will tell us that we're just trying to escape this world. We're just trying to get somewhere else. And then there are other religions that say this world is just an illusion. But this is the faith. This is the belief. This is the God who tells us, I have a hope for this world. I love this physical world that I joined this physical world. I joined this real world. The real God showed, our, showed up in our real life and he lived the real life so that we might live a real life like him. He created us. In the image of God, God created us. Male and female. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, first and foremost, you come from God. The image of God lives in you. See this world the way that God sees this world. Not the way that we're influenced to see this world. See this world as a person of love because you were made by love. You were made by love. And you were made to love. 
but oftentimes we get it backwards. In Romans chapter 1, there's this uh, um, uh, powerful and, and, and revealing um, uh, passage about, about how often we see the world and, and how it oftentimes leads to corruption for us. It says they, and, and they could be anybody, specifically this passage is talking about a specific group of people, but they, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself. And we realize how silly that is, right? Like we realize how backwards that is to worship the things that, some, that someone created rather than the one who created it. If you go out for a brunch after church today and somebody comes out and they deliver your plate and you just absolutely worship the plate and you're blown away by the plate, that plate will leave you disappointed because eventually that plate's going to run out of food. Do you know what would be really appropriate? To get up off your seat, to go back toward the kitchen, say, hi, can I talk to your cook or your chef? I want to thank them for providing me this meal. This is what we need to do as Christians. We don't worship the things of this world. We worship the creator of this world. We're called to something bigger. We're called to something better. We don't trade truth about God for a lie. Instead, we worship the creator of the world, not the creations that are in this world. What's better? Right before this in Romans chapter 1, I mean, it gets really clear. It says, my goodness, how in the world can we worship the things that God created rather than the ever-living, glorious God? How could we do that? So my question is, when you're in this space today, what are you thinking about? Are you here to worship God? Are you here to soak in his presence? Is your mind committed to him? Is your heart resting in his presence? Or is it something like we read in the book of Amos? This is what it says in Amos chapter 8. You can't wait for the Sabbath to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. Here's a really good way to know what your God is. What do you think about in church? Are you really excited to get back and do that home project? Are you really pumped to get your work week started so you can make some more money? Can you not wait for a couple of weeks till Sunday afternoons you get to spend watching the bears devastate you week in and week out? But this year's the year, man, because we got some Iowa State players. It's the year. It's, it's the year. What do you think about most naturally when you don't have anything to think about? That's a good way to know what your God is. That's a good way to know. But, but please know this. The thing that you worship cannot satisfy you unless the thing that you worship lives above all the things in this world. Everything else in this world is nothing more than on the equal plane as you. It is not worth worshiping something that was created to live life with you. As Christians, we get to live and hope in the God who created all things. Let's not be like the people who just get distracted in church and think about going out and making more money and having more fun and making more power and, and using that power and abusing it. Because it leads to emptiness. Here's a really fundamental belief for Christians. It's really simple, as simple as John 3.16, but we need to be reminded of this. God's not going to bless our sin. That thing that we're thinking about in church, we're desiring it so much so we can go out and do that to accomplish more things. And we get frustrated. Why isn't this making me happy? Why isn't this giving, bringing me satisfaction? Why isn't this bringing me fulfillment? The answer is because God's not going to bless your sin. And even if you get that object or that material thing that you think that you always wanted, it doesn't bring you that fulfillment because God doesn't bless the sin that led us to want that thing. 
It says this in the book of Amos. This was in our Bible reading for today. Hate, hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into the true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord of God's heaven, the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. This is the reason for hope. The reason for hope is not the things of this world. The reason for hope is the creator of this world, who loves this world, who shows up in this world, who is here to redeem the world. This is what God wants for us. This is God's plan for us. It says this in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. This is God's plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. God's plan, which is the true desire of your heart, of your soul, is that everything would be brought back together the way that it was supposed to be. Do you ever think about why you want that perfect house? Do you ever think about why you want that perfect car? Do you ever think about why you need to have that certain level of money, but once you get there, you need more? Do you ever think about why you need those things? Because in our minds, we believe that that thing is going to be the thing that brings my life together. We believe that thing is going to be the thing that brings everything that I've lost back to me. But we all know a car, a house, a job, and even some of the deeper things in our life, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a spouse, a child living out the dream that we always had for them, whatever it might be, that's not going to bring us the satisfaction. In Amos chapter 5, it also tells us that we pursue these places, we pursue these homes, we pursue these temples, but God's not going to give them to us. Not just because we're not going to get the materialism of it, but because we're not going to get what we really wanted from it. What is it that you want? What is it that your heart desires? This is what God wants for us. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Your soul cries out for togetherness. Your soul cries out for unity. Your soul cries out for this because it is the desire of your creator and you were made in the image of that creator. This creator lives in you. This creator lives through you. That's why we desire it. But we're not going to find it from the things that the creator made. We're going to find it from the creator himself. You don't have to wait for this either. It says in that passage, at the right time. At the right time. The word that's used for time there, I told our Cairo students about this the other night. It is not chronological time. The example that I used for Kairos the other night was on campus, they're going to walk past the Campanile every single day. And that Campanile dings and rings and it reminds them that they're late. It dings and it rings and it reminds them that they're not on time to get on time to the place that they needed to be on time at. And there's a word for that and it's chronos, right? Chronos means chronological time. But there is a more powerful, a more beautiful word for time. And it's not a time that you can tell on your watch, but it is a time that experiences, a time that it feels. It is a time that is holy. And the word for that is kairos. It's why we named our college ministry what we named it. It is a holy time, and it is a time that God has set apart for us to be together. This is what our hearts long for. It's not to be on time for something by the time of our watch. It's to experience time with God's people together. You were made for this. Here are some pictures from Kairos at the Campanile the other night. It absolutely blew us away. For one, it blew us away because there were over 1,100 students who showed up, which was crazy, right? Yeah, we got our work cut out for us, am I right? That's nuts. But do you know what blew us away even more? Just the palpable presence of God's love. The palpable presence of God's love. That was just resting over the students, in the students, and through the students. The connection that we saw taking place afterward, my goodness, it was incredible. 
And I want you to know this. You had a huge part in that happening. Dozens of you, Hope Ames, dozens of you were there for setup, for teardown, for hospitality. You were there. And make absolutely no mistake about it. By your presence, by your effort, and by your love, God's love shining through you. Not only did you change the next few years for college students, you changed lives for college students. You changed eternity for college students. This is what we were meant for. This is God's plan for us to be together. I received this email from a mom on Friday morning, and uh, her daughter was attached to the email, and she had permission to send it to me, and I received permission from them to share it with you. Pastor Danny, my daughter attended your church's college ministry on Wednesday night, and she received the reminder of hope, no pun intended, that she needed. You might understand one day how hard it is to helplessly watch your child try to find their way in college. My daughter has faced peer pressure and comparisons. She has more friends than most people will ever, will ever know, but that hasn't saved her from loneliness. Imagine hearing your dean's list daughter wants to drop out of school because she feels out of place. So you can understand why I burst into tears Wednesday night when she called to say, I'm home. Give your congregation my thanks and gratitude. <laughs> to know my child is home, even away from me, is the greatest gift you can give me as a mother. If you have kids, and I don't have kids, but I imagine if you have kids, you just would really want people to love them. That's what God wants us to do with one another. You're God's kid. And so is the person sitting across the aisle from you in this space, but also in life. So here's a pretty big, important note we should take away from the Bible. Get used to each other. This is a glimpse of heaven. Being in a place where people come together that would have no reason to be together other than the fact that God's called us to be together. I know we fight it. People have been fighting it for a long time. There was an apostle named Paul who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, and he wrote to a church in Corinth. You know his first letter as 1 Corinthians, and it's this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where he urges this church, this church that is probably his most gifted and talented church, but also his most broken church, because they've got division among themselves. He urges them, Live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Paul was writing to them because there were some of them who were saying, I belong to Apollos. There were some of them who were saying, I belong to Paul. There were some of them who were saying, I belong to Christ. And he says to all of them, you all belong together because of Christ reigning over you. Even the ones who were saying, I belong to Christ, they were saying it with such snobbery. They were saying it with such condescension. We're the purists. We're the ones who haven't figured out. So therefore, if you've listened to Paul's teaching, Apollos' teaching, you don't belong to us. We're the real ones. And Paul says to all of you, no matter who it is that you say that you associate most with, it's Jesus is the one that you really belong to. He's your unifier. He's the one who calls you together. And he's the one who looks at us and says, you may not be the same on the surface, but you can be one. You may not all wear the same uniform, but you can be unified. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. There is a difference between oneness and sameness. And I want to tell you that unity is greater than uniformity, and oneness is greater than sameness. 
Sameness means that we all look the same. Sameness means that we all talk the same. Sameness means that we all like the same stuff. But oneness means that we come from the same place and we love one another and we stick together and we have something deeper than anything on the surface. Uniformity means that we put on the same stuff, but unity means that we belong to one another. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. We come from the same life source. We belong together. Unity is greater than uniformity. Oneness is greater than sameness. That is why it is God's plan. Again, we see in Ephesians, and this is God's plan at the right time. He will bring everything together. But keep in mind, it's not just bringing everything together for no purpose at all. It is bringing everything together under the authority of Christ. Under the authority of Christ. We're not just doing this blindly. We're not just doing this because, you know, I don't know, it's a good idea to have everybody in the same place for the sake of numbers. We're doing this because the Lord of all has commanded us to do it. And the Lord of all who knows what's best for all is saying, I want this in your life. It's under the authority of Christ that we unite. You do not unite under the authority of the Democrat or Republican Party. You unite under the authority of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is also saying, I mean, my goodness, who is the one who saved you? He said, did Paul die for your sins? No. Are you baptized in the name of Paul? No. It is Jesus who has saved you. And I think for some of us, we really need to carefully ask ourselves, did the Democratic Party die for my sins? Am I baptized in the name of the Republican Party? No. I'm baptized in the name of Jesus as a child of God. Bought and won by the precious love of Christ. I do not belong to a political party. I belong to Christ. I'm not trying to tell you to dismiss yourselves from the political realm. I'm saying walk into that space with Jesus as your Lord. And I know it's hard because the voices are loud. But Jesus is more powerful. So very quickly, very practically, I want to go through several points to conclude this message just to talk about how do I know that Jesus is my Lord? How do I know that I'm following Jesus rather than the polarized groups of this world? So, so let's, let's begin. And this is biblically based, so I'll walk us through that. But here's the first one. Elections don't paralyze me with anxiety. Do you ever notice every single four years, every single two years, every single six years, we always say the same thing? This is the most important election ever. <laughs> and we fall for it. And each time, it seems like we fall for it a little harder. Princeton and Stanford came out with a combined study, and the results were that we live in a time where people are more afraid of the opposite political party than ever before. And maybe there's some reason to that. But the Bible tells us that perfect love, God's love, casts out all fear. We don't have to be anxious about these things. And I know that elections have real consequences for real people. And please hear me. When I tell you that it does not, 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 that who sits in the president's office, who sits in the senator's office, who sits in the governor's office, who sits in the representative's office, does not influence who sits on the throne of the universe. I am not telling you that your problems ought to be minimized. I am telling you that Jesus ought to be magnified. Let us magnify Jesus. Magnifying Jesus doesn't minimize your problems. Magnifying Jesus says Jesus is greater than my problems. It does not matter. According to Jesus, it does not matter who sits in the office when it comes to who sits on the throne of this universe. And it's not to minimize your problems, it's to magnify our Savior. 
Elections do not paralyze me with anxiety because I have a hope that is greater than an elected official. Up next, I pray for those that I disagree with. Jesus tells us a lot about loving our enemies. You know that about the Bible, right? He tells us a lot. And then he sets the greatest example. When he is on the cross, he actually prays for the people who are killing him. He says, Father, forgive them. Do you pray for those who you disagree with? Or do you dismiss them? A good way to know that Jesus is your Lord is that you are listening to him when you pray for those who you disagree with. We know that Jesus is our Lord when our lives are influenced by his character, when his character becomes our character, when we recognize the image of God in, in us. And God acting in us and through us is not the one who dismisses people who disagree with us. It's God who prays for the people who disagree with us. Elections don't paralyze me with anxiety. I pray for those I disagree with. I confess my limits and blind spots. Every single one of us has blind spots. Not a single one of us likes to look at them. I know sometimes I don't, but I am blessed when the people who love me tell me about them. It is so easy for us to look at the left side, to look at the right side, but how many of us are actually looking inside? At our hearts and our souls and understanding that I am a limited person I may not have it all figured out. It will lead us to a place of humility. Up next, for how I know Jesus is my Lord, I don't anoint a candidate or party as God's. Um, and can you go to the next slide? Because that sentence isn't done. There it is. I don't anoint a candidate or party as God's chosen candidate or party. That is, can I put it bluntly? That is a prostitution of power. And the Bible uses that word when it talks about the abuse of scripture and power and the abuse that sometimes Christians will use to oppress over other people. Please hear me on this. God's chosen deliverer, God's chosen savior is Jesus Christ. God's chosen savior and deliverer is not your favorite political figure. It's Jesus Christ. So how else do I know that Jesus is my Lord? Christ's concerns become my concerns. When was the last time that you read Matthew chapter 5? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It starts it off with what we know as the Beatitudes. Blessed are, the, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor. When we start to be concerned with the things that Jesus is concerned with, take a look through the prophecies. So oftentimes when we look through the prophecies, we think about, oh my goodness, like wow, God is just really angry. God is just really wrathful. But look at the heart of those prophecies. In Amos chapter 5 today, what was the heart of it? Stop oppressing people. Stop hurting those who are poor. Stop using your power for your own benefit. Stop winning for the sake of winning stuff. Instead, start winning people for Christ. Start winning people for the Lord. Start loving people. We don't win by scoring more points. We win by loving. We win by caring. We win by serving. Christ's concerns become my concerns, and it's a way that I know that Jesus is my Lord. The other one is, I hear Jesus over the loudest voices. Who's the most influential voice in your life? Who is it? Who are you going to go home and listen to? Maybe you felt uncomfortable by a few of the things that I've said in this, and I'm not trying to amplify my voice or give it more authority than it deserves, because it doesn't deserve any more than yours or any more than your other brothers and sisters in Christ. But please let me tell you this. If you are angry with me for preaching the word of God, 
because it disagrees with your favorite political pundit, who is discipling you? Who's discipling you? Above my voice? Above your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room? Above their voice? Listen to Jesus' voice. Listen to Jesus' voice. When you have to choose between Jesus and Fox News and CNN, turn off the TV. When you have to choose between Jesus and the social media articles that are clickbait and misleading and manipulative and trying to polarize you anymore, sign off. Listen to Jesus' voice over the loudest voices. Just because someone screams doesn't mean that they're right. And here's the best for last. Are you ready? How do I know that Jesus is my Lord? I have a hope that makes no sense to this world. Can we go back to John chapter 3, verse 16? Why do I believe that everything's going to be okay? Because God loved the world. What? That's it? Yes. I believe that things are going to be okay. I believe that God's plan to bring everything together is going to work out because God loves this world, because God shows up in this world, because God is real. There is a real God who showed up as a real person in this real world to live a real life that we may live that real life to and experience it and receive it for ourselves. You get to have this eternal life. This is yours. My goodness, not only are we not minimizing the problems and we're magnifying Jesus, we're also not minimizing the things of this world that are real, true issues. But at the same time, that does not stop us from magnifying the name of Jesus. Who is it that you praise? Who is it that you boast in? The Apostle Paul will also tell you this. If there's anybody in the world who should boast in the things that they could do, it's me, the Apostle Paul says. I'm extremely religious. I do things very well, but I don't boast to myself. I boast in Jesus alone, the one who saved me, the one who loved me, the one who died for me. I boast in him. Go ahead, study the issues, boast in Jesus. Vote for a candidate, boast for Jesus. Do anything but boast in Jesus. See this world through the lens of Christ, the lens of the God who shows up because he loves you. Do not see God and try to form God by the way that this world has told you that God ought to behave, who God ought to endorse because of our own opinions and biases. Church, we're made for more than that. We are made for more than that. You are worth so much to God because he's made you for more than this. Jesus asks in Matthew chapter 16, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? So many of us think that a political party or whatever it might be is going to be the thing that gains us power and riches in this world. And maybe it will gain you power in this world. But what good is that? What good is that? Isn't there something out there that we can have that the inevitable death doesn't take away from us? Aren't you glad you came to church today? That's really refreshing. Go back one screen. Jesus follows that up by saying, is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And maybe you're thinking, my soul is not worth that much. How much is your soul worth? What do you think the answer is to that? How much is your soul worth? It may be because of the life that you live, the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made, the person that you see in the mirror, you think, my soul's not worth a lot. My soul's not worth a lot. And the truth is, there are voices in this world that will tell you, your soul's not worth a lot. And so we sell the most important and valuable things in our life for what? For winning a game? 
for winning an election? For having political power? Really? You know, there's a classic example of this in the Bible, and it's probably one of the most famous examples in the entire Bible. Judas asked the religious officials, how much would you pay me to betray Jesus to you? I asked you to ask the question, how much is my soul worth? How much is Jesus worth? They gave him 30 pieces of silver. Keep in mind, that wasn't a fortune. But the religious establishment knew, well, we could buy him off with that. So the religious establishment, Judas and his loyalty, his soul, were 30 pieces of silver. Now compare that with the love of God. Jesus in John chapter 10 says, no one can take my life from me, but I sacrifice it voluntarily. The powers and forces that may be in this world, perhaps they've told you and made you believe that you could be bought with 30 silver coins. Jesus, the living God, the resurrected King, says, your soul is worth my life. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? Whose image is going to live in and through you? I'm going to follow the one who gave his life for me. The one who said I'm priceless. The one who said I'm invaluable. As followers of Jesus, we get to know this. Please, don't ever forget this. To God, there is no money that could purchase you. It would only be the life of his son. And voluntarily, voluntarily, out of love, he would give that for us. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Sure, there are concerning trends in this world, but this is a reason for hope that we get to hope in the Son of God who lived and died for us. He died for you. He died for the person across from the aisle from you today and in your life. Let's live like that. Let's talk about the issues. Let's even debate them at times. But let us boast in Jesus, in Christ, the one who sacrifices his life. Amen. Can you all stand up and sing, church? Let's go.